Hey, everybody, it's Nick. And um, last week I had a thought. I mean, I had more than one thought last week, but this one stuck with me. And it's it's really more of a thought experiment than anything else. So I'm going to ask you a question. I just want you to think about it for a second. But But before I ask, here's some background information you need to know. So most movies can be split into three separate acts. We've got the setup. This is the beginning of the movie where we meet the characters, we identify the protagonist, we learn about the world and the time period the movie is set in. You know, basically this is where we set up everything. This is where all the pieces are, are set up. And then act one also includes some sort of instigating event, something that, that propels the movie forward. It's what the movie's about. Then there's act two, which is often called the confrontation. At this point, we have all the information we need and the stakes just get higher. I'm, I'm oversimplifying, but it's fine. You get it. And then there's act three, and it's called the resolution. And this is where our heroes find the final boss and then they fight it. This is where all the big action sequences happen in a movie. Because this is where everything resolves. This is where the story ends. This is where the movie ends. So here's the question that I asked myself, and now I'm asking you. Let's say that your life is a movie and that you're the main character. We've just reached the third act of the film. What happens now? What is going to happen in the movie? What does your character do next? What is the thing that you will undertake to help propel the movie towards the credits? Now, here's why I find this question interesting. Because I think that most people have a vision of their idealized life. There's a version of themselves that they, they want to see. But the reality of our daily lives gets in the way of that. We sort of accept that, and that makes sense. But if we can take one step back and picture ourselves as this character, this person who's like us but isn't us, and we know the character will succeed at the end of the movie, so if we can take one step back, know they're going to be successful, and then see what they do next, I think that might help reveal something about what we truly want for ourselves. And then if you know what your character would do, then the obvious question is, why don't you do the same thing? So I asked a few people this over the past week and, and everybody seemed to have the same sort of, whoa, reaction. Like, this is a big question, hold on. And something about it seems to just bypass some of the ways that we think about ourselves in our current situation. And it sort of forces us to think, oh yeah, I could do something next. So I was proud of myself for the question. And then I remembered, that this concept of making your life a movie is something that I've I've talked about a little bit before, a few years ago on my old podcast, One Degree of Separation. So for those of you who heard our update a few weeks ago, you know, Brett has had to take some time for some personal issues and, you know, unfortunately that's still happening. Um, so that's just so there's an update there. So this week we are going to take the opportunity to share some of these segments that I've wanted to do for at least a year now. I like these old segments from the show. It's about three years old. It's right in the middle of when I left my job in Chicago and I was making a podcast without knowing that I would be a podcaster in a couple of years. And so the idea is that playing these for you and asking you this question might get a few of you to think about what your third act looks like for you right now, what you could do now that would push you towards the end of the movie. So after listening and after thinking, if you have any thoughts, then you should go to wherethersmoke.co and leave us a message on SpeakPipe. Just tell us your name, where you're from, and, and what you would do next if your life were a movie. And maybe 
talk about why you haven't made those steps. The idea is that we might be able to take some of your ideas and then we would work together to make a future episode. We've done that one other time and I think it worked out really well. So, so that's what I'm hoping to have happen. Be inspired, share the story. So I'm just going to start the episode from the top, this old episode from 2013, 2014, and then I'll cut out the interview in the last segment. But you should know that the pace of this show is slower and intentionally kind of loosely organized. All of the interstitial music and even the ukulele stuff is just me doing something really quickly. It's rough, but I, I still like it. So hopefully it can place you into thinking about the movie of your life and what comes next. And, and when you have a thought, please reach out and let's make something great together for a future episode. Thanks. Welcome to One Degree of Separation. Of course, I am Nick Jaworski. This is episode number three titled Porchlights, Voting Rights, and Doppelgangers. First, we'll have a phone call, then a screenplay. And lastly, in this week's interview, I talk with Denise Lieberman, fresh off of litigating voting rights in a North Carolina federal court. Originally, we were three degrees apart, and now we are two degrees closer. We talk about voting rights, activism, passion, all kinds of stuff. So all of those things and more in today's episode. I hope you enjoy it, and I'll see you at the end. Okay, so before we go any further, some explanation is needed. So if you're listening to this podcast, you probably realize that I'm in the process of making sense of my life. Now, I'm a little late to this game, I know, but better late than never, right? I'm just not sure what it is that I'm supposed to be doing or what I could or should be doing. There are things I'd love to do and things I feel that I have a unique talent for, but for whatever reason, I can never seem to put all of the pieces together at the same time. I'll have months or years of focus and determination where I show some real aptitude for success and then follow those productive years up with an even longer period of anxiety and regret. Obviously, I'm not trying to claim any sort of specialness here, and nor do I expect any sympathy. I'm just trying my best to be honest. So that's the situation. That's why this podcast exists. So you may recall that what I'm trying to do is to reach out into the world in order to find understanding, to glean what it is that brings joy and fulfillment to others so that I might steal that information and use it for myself. And so far, that element of the podcast, I think, is going really well. I've talked to a lot of amazing people, and I'm looking forward to meeting a lot more, and, and I've got a lot to learn. But then, just the other day, I started thinking... What if Nick Jaworski did have something insightful to share? What would that be? Okay, now now back to the Skype call. Oh, hello? Oh. Yeah, hello? Hey, is this Nick Jaworski? This is. This is Nick Jaworski. <laughs> Meet Nick Jaworski, a 31-year-old educator who recently moved to Chicago. Yeah, I know. Weird. But the similarities don't end there. 
He likes Ben Folds, Kanye West, and Fiona Apple. He loves working with children. Nick Jaworski is also a night person and can't touch his tongue to his nose. He also has a playful sense of humor. When I messaged him on Facebook and asked if he'd like to talk to another Nick Jaworski, he responded, quote, Hello, doppelganger. If you promise you are not the evil kind that steals souls, I'll be happy to chat. Okay, so those similarities are pretty interesting, but, but there are a couple differences too. For one, Nick Jaworski obviously doesn't believe that our shared name should give us any sort of cosmic connection. Rightfully so, he was a bit confused when I started throwing him probing questions like, Do you like your name? And, What's it like being named Nick Jaworski? Alright, let's see what... Okay, now, what's it like having the name Nick Jaworski? I have a love-hate relationship with my name. Do you have yeah. any feelings? Yeah, I can't say I have anything, you know, too far either way. I've always been fairly happy with the name. <laughs> I guess what we're learning about you and me already is that you seem like a very go-with-it kind of guy. I clearly am not. (laughs) I'm from St. Louis, of course, and he's originally from Wisconsin. My favorite color is blue. His is... Black. My favorite TV show is Community, and Nick's... Favorite TV show, Firefly. And so the question that we all want to know, is Nick Jaworski musical? I've never, I've never been good at it. Like I can't sing. I played the saxophone in like middle school, but I had a horrible band teacher, so I just got out of that. Oh. Uh, so yeah, I never got too much into the music end of things from uh, playing. But oh yeah, he's also married, has worked all over the world, and as you heard, has a beautiful 18-month-old daughter named Jasmine. Uh, I left the States in probably 2006. I just wanted to travel the world and see things and, you know, learn languages and stuff. Um, so I kind of just basically searched the internet and found like a, a course for teaching and I just bought it and went. Um, and then I just, I didn't stop for about, for about eight years. So I just kept going. So he just packed his bags and moved to Vietnam. And then he moved to Turkey where he met his future wife. And then he moved to China, and then where he started to school, and he did all of this in eight years. I did see that you spent some time in China, though. Um, so we were in China for three years. So I was working for Disney in Shanghai for a while. Then I opened up an international kindergarten down in Guangzhou, which is near Hong Kong. Uh, and then that didn't quite work out. It wasn't really a positive experience, and so we ended up coming back here. You worked for Disney and doing what? I was a language learning director. Um, Disney actually opened up a series of language schools for children ages 2 to 12 in China. And so I ran um, what at the time was their biggest center in Shanghai. And about a month ago, Nick Jaworski moved to Chicago and is now the learning director for a language learning institute. So for someone who has never left the country and is pretty good at getting himself stuck, It's kind of crazy to imagine another Nick Jaworski fearlessly gallivanting across the globe. I suppose I should feel more motivated to follow in his footsteps. But what if by some sort of cosmic twist, only one 31-year-old educator named Nick Jaworski was allowed to thrive? Now, since you at some point decided to travel the world, and you've lived in China, you've lived in Turkey, you've worked for Disney... I was just in Chicago, but that's about all we have in common, apparently. You're a very go-getter kind of guy. 
what advice would you have for me, without knowing much about me, to become the best Nick Jaworski I can be? <laughs> become the best Nick Jaworski. What do I have to do? It sounds like you've got it figured out. You're married, you got a kid, you lived everywhere. What, what can I do? I guess, I don't know, I guess I would say, just, you know, I'd say, you know, just kind of follow your heart and do what you want to do. That's always what I've kind of done. It's, it's worked out for me. I can't say I've always had great experiences, but, you know, it's, it's worked out in the long run, I think. So, always kind of, always made it work. You know, I said, I'm going to do this, I'm going to make it work. I think that's why I always said to myself, and I've always been able to do that, even when I hit a couple bumps. Follow your heart and do what you want to do. And just always make it work. And I know it's not rocket science, but it's not always easy. And when Nick Jaworski is right, Nick Jaworski's right. So I didn't actually plan on our conversation being that long. And with his daughter Jasmine climbing on him and wanting to just hang out and play, I figured the meeting of Nick Jaworski's would end as awkwardly as it began. And that's not because Nick himself is awkward. By all accounts, he's an amazing human being. It was more my rapidly paced and shouted questions. I, I think that's what made a real connection more difficult. But then later, as we were just talking, I realized that I had come across him before online, just a few years ago when I was starting to blog and stuff, and that I, I remember I remembered Turkey, and I, it all came back to me. And then he said that he had read some of my stuff online, and we just started to talk about education and our beliefs, and it turns out that we have a lot in common in that area. And that was strangely comforting to me, and I think it really broke the ice. And to be honest, it probably meant more for me than for him, because, as we've determined, if nothing else, I'm the overanalyzing Nick Jaworski. Okay, so you might remember that when Nick responded to me on Facebook, his message started with, Hello, Doppelganger. Well, obviously, that Nick knows more about doppelgangers than this Nick. I was surprised to learn that a lot of the mythology surrounding doppelgangers centers on the idea that seeing yours is a sign of bad luck or, or even an omen of death. It was actually a story of Abraham Lincoln, a very superstitious man, seeing his own doppelganger multiple times over a couple of nights. When looking in the mirror, he saw two faces, his normal face and then a pale ghostly one that, that worried him. And so when he told his wife Mary Todd about it, her interpretation was that he would win re-election as president, but that he wouldn't survive to finish the term. Needless to say, my anxiety does not allow me <laughs> to think about the potentially dire consequences of my brief interaction with the other Nick Jaworski. But before all of the doom and gloom, at the very top of the Wikipedia article, there's one sentence about doppelgangers that seems relevant. Quote, it also describes the sensation of having glimpsed oneself in one's own peripheral vision, with no chance of the supposed phenomenon having been a reflection. So, I'm in no position to feel bad for myself, and I feel very fortunate to have so many smart, talented, and loving people around me. But there have been moments when my mind has wandered and just out of sight, just out of the corner of my eye, I sense that there's something out there. There's other experiences, other opportunities. There's just another life out there to be lived. And there's maybe there's another me living it. 
and I know it's there and I know it's great and I know it would be fulfilling and I can almost touch it. And just as that starts to make sense in my mind and just as that image turns from a fleeting thought to a sort of a deep yearning, I turn my head to get a better look and the vision's gone. Well, since I can't know what isn't, and I only have control over my own actions, perhaps I should model myself off of that other Nick Jaworski. I mean, that's what this podcast is all about, and it does feel nice to know that there's a Nick Jaworski out there who does have it figured out. What are your final thoughts on being Nick Jaworski? How is that? What, just, what does that mean to you? I like being Nick Jaworski. I've always been happy. Um... <laughs> I'm making it rock. <laughs> All right. That's great to hear. Thank you so much for talking to me. Yeah, thanks so much, man. All right. All nice right. meeting you. Bye. So, uh, it's it's late, and I'm in the car because I didn't I didn't want to wake anybody up, uh, you know, with having to listen to my podcast. So I'm in the car. Make sure this is recording, and um, I don't know. I wanted to sort of just talk about something that I've started to do recently, uh, something that I used to do as a kid a lot actually, um, and. It doesn't happen every day, but it's becoming more and more common. So basically, um, just at sort of random moments in my day, I'll take this really innocuous thing and like put a lot of meaning into it and a lot of symbolism into it, and then I'll sort of create a movie around it. And I don't know if that probably doesn't make any sense to anybody else, but I'll, this is this is an example from last week. I made some notes. So, okay, so I was I was laying on the couch, and it was a it was a really nice day outside, and uh, I, I wasn't feeling particularly excited about the day, and what to expect and what I had to do, and so I was laying on the couch, and and I think the Olympics were on, or I don't know, and I looked outside, and I noticed that the porch light was on. That it, I mean, it was a sunny day, but somebody had just sort of left it on from the previous night. You know, that happens. And as soon as I saw that the porch light was on, this, the moment that I saw it, I just, my brain started just creating this movie. And so in the in the movie, in my mind, so, okay, the first shot of this movie is just the light. And we're sort of beneath the light. And we hold, just we just, we just hold that shot. This is the first shot in the film, just that light from beneath and then maybe six seven seconds and then the next shot is me in the window so from outside you can see through the window and you can see my face and i'm looking up so that that happened right i'm looking up at and you know i'm looking at the light and then the next shot is just sort of this wide shot of me and the couch i'm laying on and a lamp and a door and the, it, the camera's just still and it, it stares at me i mean it just looks at the room and it sees me laying on the couch and then I, I slowly, I get up, 
And then I look out the window and the door to look at the light again. And then I just turn the light off. I don't, I don't fumble for the light. I don't, I, I just, I, once I see the light again, I, I turn it off. Then I look out the window to make sure it's off. Go back to the couch, lay down. And then I look at my phone for a few seconds. And then I just look right back at the light. And the moment that I look at the light, just right at that moment, black screen, title card of the movie, whatever the movie's called. Okay, so that happens. And then the next scene would be sort of this montage over uh, some sort of indie music, of course, independent music, which is such a dated term now, but you know what I mean, an indie artist. And it would have me, the scene just of this day, and it could be every day, it could be any day. I'm brushing my teeth. I'm looking at myself in the mirror. I'm playing guitar. I'm eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And then, of course, at some point, I'm laughing at the TV and I'm looking around for someone to, to look at. And it's just the cats. And the cats are just staring at me. And that's sort of played for laughs. And that fades out the sort of sad, sort of monotonous day fades out into the next scene where somebody asks asks me, oh, hey, how was your day? What, what, what did you do today? And so my character has to say, oh, it was great. I worked out. I got all these job leads. I mean, things are things are looking great. And, uh, yeah, and, the, and the movie goes from there. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to write the whole movie right now. Okay, so... What's interesting to me is that that first scene, you know, the one with just me on the couch looking at the light and turning it off, that's that's exactly what happened. Like, once I saw the porch light, I looked at it, I got up, looked at it again, turned the light off, laid back on the couch. And the moment that I was aware of it, I began sort of creating that movie. And it truly felt like that moment should have some significance. So that me sort of thinking about the light and then going to turn it off, I'm setting up sort of this key bit of imagery that the audience will keep seeing play out in different ways over and over again for the next two hours. And part of the fun of seeing a movie, at least for me, is sort of seeing those symbols and then being able to say to people afterwards, oh, did you remember that thing? And it kept coming up. Yeah, like the the porch light, right? Remember? So I guess it kind of felt good just to have something so sort of just drenched in meaning and, and and so full of possibility just that porch light in me and this moment um, and it felt good okay so I used to do this all the time when I was a kid uh, and I just totally forgot about it until the other day. And I used to make these little TV shows or movies. And they, and they starred me, but they weren't magical. They weren't like, oh, I can fly, or I'm He-Man, or, you know, there's a dragon. They, they were just my life, and I would narrate them. And, and they were different from the current version of this that I'm doing as an adult. They were less sort of indie mumblecore and more sort of Ferris Bullerian. They were played for laughs, and there were a lot of direct monologues to the camera. 
and sort of knowing glances. And, and, I, and I don't remember what I said, but I do know that I would sort of monologize, 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 right? Whatever. Uh, that I would, <laughs> I do know that I would sort of talk to the camera at some, you know, some awkward times. It would often be in bed or um, sort of while I was walking or in the woods behind my house. But it was most often sort of upstairs in the bathroom at my childhood home, like directly into the mirror. I would just, I would just talk um, and explain. And I, and I don't remember what I said, so I don't have any direct quotes or any movie plots. But I do remember that the narration was part of a movie that had already been written. Like there was a beginning and middle and an end that already happened. And so Nick, and that's the character Nick, and not me, actually, me, Nick. So Nick would sort of talk with a lot of authority about what this moment might mean in the long run. And this would sort of lead the viewer down the path and sort of through the movie. And and all the failures and all the successes and the fears and the jokes and interactions with sort of everybody would all, you know, would all lead to a poignant and important end that would satisfy everybody, including myself. And I have no idea if if other people did this uh, when they were kids. That would require some sort of research on my part. And, you know, by research, I mean just asking another human being. But as far as my own experiences are concerned, it's, it's clearly, it's part narcissism, right? And it's mixed with some semblance of creativity and sort of a visually literate mind. And there's a healthy dash of fear in there, right? And fear, there was a lot of fear in my kid. I was afraid of dogs. I'm sort of a deep-seated fear of death. I, I, like, way too early in my life, death just really scared me. In terms of this, in terms of making the movies, you know, it was a fear of a possibility of, of, like, a life and a world that lacked meaning and order. Fear of a world where the protagonist didn't win, you know, where the person who did the right thing didn't, you know, they should win. And there's also a fear that I wasn't the protagonist. So, so the movies were sort of a fun way to make sense of the world around me and to sort of order it, to, to make something ordered that doesn't have take these ingredients we have narcissism creativity fear and we mix them all up we just bake them in the oven and we get nick this movie that i've made it has a beginning middle and an end and it stars nick me who plays the character nick who is smart and attractive and desirable and he bumps up against obstacles but he always finds a way through them and in the end Everybody learns a little bit of some, little bit something about themselves. They learn something new about themselves in the end. I mean, that's a movie that I would watch. I've seen that movie a ton of times. <laughs> and so I guess, you know, now that I've just thought about it, I guess it sort of makes sense, right? That that um, my brain would start sort of 
making order and 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 outlining a movie that has an end that is enjoyable, right? What I what I've realized recently, literally very recently, is that I've always seen myself in these movies as the character Nick Jaworski, and never the actor Nick Jaworski. So the character has no agency; they have no control of what they do or where they are. Um, there, the character is just there to do what has been written for them. They have no control. The actor, on the other hand, they get to decide all kinds of things. They get to act on the world around them. And if we were to sort of extend this metaphor even further, the actor gets to decide if they're in this crappy movie in the first place. Okay, if this were a movie, like right now, uh, well, we need some music, so... No. 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 If I was a flower growing wild and free, all I'd want is you. Uh, close. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. All right. So if this were a movie. This, this right now, uh, that revelation about the character and the actor, that would have some real sort of, that, that would move things along, some real narrative heft would, would sort of hinge on that sort of in the beginning of the third act or maybe halfway through the third act of the movie. I'd figure that out. Somebody would tell me that in a rainstorm and I'd run down the street or I'd overhear at the supermarket some something about being an actor or a character or decisions and uh, it, would, it would all make sense to me and I, and I would just... From then, I could make sense of everything else. And I would become Nick, the actor, the one who gets to decide, the one in charge. And armed with this new knowledge, you know, you'd see all these positive changes. I'd become this self-actualized human being. I'd get the job. I'd get the girl. I'd be this world-famous musician and happy. And it, it would be great. And, and maybe, you know, sort of in this ultimate sort of, he figured it out. You know, Nick would be up in the plane high-fiving a friend while just skydiving out and be like, woo! And then you'd see me falling and that would fade out. You know, it would fade into, cross-fade into another scene. The music would fade out. If you rub me off, I'd understand it Cause I've been on some other planet So come pick me up I've and we're back at the porch. And we're back at that porch light, and everything looks and sounds the same. It could even be the same day. And you remember the first scene, right? Porch light, window with me in it, wide shot. I get up and turn off the light. But this time, at the end of the movie, we look at the porch light for the same amount of time, and we cut to the window, but this time I'm not there. And we just, we just hold and just look at that window. Maybe there's a slow push, and then the music starts. We're still looking at that window. The music is thematically appropriate. And as soon as the lyrics start, as soon as those lyrics start, cut to black, roll the credits.
powerful child the blood will bring her Here I ask a question in the mirror Oh, there's no answer could be clearer If you're still here, <laughs> thanks for listening to the show. Make sure that if you have a thought about what your third act would be, that you go to weathersmoke.co. Leave us a, a speak pipe message and just tell us who you are, you know, what that third act might be and what's keeping you from doing it or what you're going to do. And that's it. We will see you very, very soon.